0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Neufeld. We're continuing our series today, The Price of Victory. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 to 15, as Dr. Neufeld brings us a message titled, What Your Giving Buys.
1: When it's all said and done and you've put your check in the offering, and you've given online in some form, what happens then? You just get a debit in your bank account. I mean, is that the end of the matter? Do you just hope that your donation gets well used? I mean, what if no one phones or writes thanking you? Are there any benefits to giving after the act is over? I make mention of that because in some ways, giving is unlike anything else that we do with our money. When we buy something, we have that thing that our money has purchased. It was an exchange. So much money is given away, but so many goods are now in our possession. It can be something large like a house or smaller like a bag of groceries, but our giving of money has resulted in a tangible reward. It was a beneficial transaction. But giving to charity, giving to Christian ministries is something of a different kind of a transaction. I mean, after it's all done, what is it that I've purchased with my money? What can I actually look at that tells me that was a good buy? Indeed, did I buy anything at all or should I just write this up as a straight loss? Was it only sacrifice or was it an investment? And speaking about investments, when we invest in something, we expect a return on our money. Again, how about our giving? What's the return there? And one of the reasons people don't like paying taxes is because they view their taxes as a straight loss. I know, if they think about it, they might be happy for police and fire in hospitals and roads to drive on and electric power that's available every time we flip on the switch in the house, things like that. But unlike when you buy a bag of groceries or invest in something, taxes don't provide us with that one-to-one relationship with the money that was spent. You know, how much of a section of a paved road did I buy when I paid those taxes? You see, taxes, because they are somewhat removed from the benefit we received, do not leave us liking them. We're suspicious about how the money was used. No one feels that about a bag of groceries. Well then, how much more might we be disappointed when it comes to giving? You know, it's one of the reasons people like what has been called designated giving. See, designated giving is very specific. I once had a conversation with someone who told me he never gave to the general offering of his church. He would designate to a certain missionary or to a special project or to a parachurch ministry that was doing an effective job, but never to the general budget. He just didn't know how it would be used. Well, I told him never to use the bathroom when he was at his church building. You know, someone else had paid for the toilet tissue and the water coming out of the tap and so forth. Why should their giving pay for him? And I said, you should come with a shade or completely darkened glasses over your eyes so that you're not making use of the electrical lights that someone else paid for. And above all, don't listen to the preacher preach. He's been giving his full time to ministry and someone's been paying his salary. Well, the man said he never thought of that. But that brings me back to the issue of what happens after we've given. Do we feel it's money spent well? Should we be thinking about what we've purchased for our charitable donation? Or is the act of giving to be free from all thoughts of personal reward? You know, is the analogy of purchasing something with our giving, is that thought too utilitarian for you? Isn't giving something we do without expecting something in return? Isn't it supposed to feel like we got nothing but only an opportunity to sacrifice? Well, to be clear, Luke 6:35 does record Jesus saying that we are to lend to others without expecting anything in return. But to be fair to what Jesus is saying, he's only speaking about not expecting the person that we've lent money to now to be obligated to do something for us in the future. Don't you set your mind on the expectation that the one receiving your donation now owes you a repayment? Well, fine and well, let's commit to that but that still doesn't answer if there's anything that the giver can expect back from his or her donation. Is it a straight loss, or is it an investment that pays back dividends? What is it? See, I ask it that way because this question is a key question when looking for motivation in giving. Look at it this way. Let's assume that investor never asks what he gets from his investment. You know, it's just his or her contribution. Well, what then? Well, the answer, he or she will contribute the least possible amount. And might I say, that might be a reason why so many of God's people don't give. They don't anticipate a reward. And today I want to speak about three positive benefits, very real benefits that your giving provides for you. And furthermore, I want to say that these three things are precious. Once you get a taste for these things, you might just conclude that you can't live without them. You know, from our text today, let's look at these three things that the giver buys when he gives to the work of the Lord. And it turns out that your gift is not a straight loss of your money. Indeed, it's the best purchase, the best investment that you've ever made. So let's read our passage, 2 Corinthians 9:10 to 15. "He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Here's the very first thing that we purchase when we give, and it's found in verses 10 and 11a. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You're going to be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. See, you might remember that in the previous section, Paul compared giving to a farmer sowing his seed in the field. On the one hand, it looks like the farmer has just thrown away precious seed, but in fact, he's invested that seed in very productive ground. When the fall rolls around and it's harvest time, the yield from this investment is going to be overwhelmingly larger than what he's thrown into the ground. Now, borrowing on that analogy, Paul takes this matter one step further. Notice how he begins, he who supplies seed to the sower. So stop right there. Yeah, says Paul, the seed you had to throw out into your field, that very seed was provided to you by God. Stop again and do a reality check. If you feel your back stiffening up and deep down you're thinking, you know, look now, my seed or my money, that money didn't just fall from heaven into my back pocket. It was the product of many hours of intensive labor. I worked for that. Well, yes, you did and a great many of us work very hard for what we do have. But there's a deeper question to be asked, isn't there? Listen to that deeper question from 1 Corinthians 4, verse seven. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So let's do a little inventory of what we've received. We have a body that allows us to work, as well as a mind that processes information and makes our work productive. Ah, yes, we received that from God. Second, your health has been such that has allowed you to continue to work unimpaired. Yep, you receive that as well. The country you live in has a functioning economy that allows you to accumulate wealth. That was a gift as well. Yeah, you did have to work, but all your work was possible because of the bounty that God had provided. So let's get back to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. He who supplies seed for the sower, or to put it plainly, God who has supplied money to give to you so that you can give. Yeah, you've been the recipient of giving. God has been giving to you out of his bounty. Now, notice what Paul adds to that. God who has been making you prosperous will multiply your seed for sowing. He means God will multiply your prosperity so that you can give even more. Now, in the past, I've alluded to this matter as proportional giving. We set aside 10% of our giving. Then when our salary doubles as we continue to give proportionally, the actual amount that we give also doubles right alongside of what God has been giving to us. Yes, yes, you say, but I'm still not understanding how that benefits me. Why not keep all that stuff that I make for myself? Ah, Now, listen very closely. As your giving increases, According to the increase that God provides, so also right alongside of your increase in giving comes an increase in the harvest of your righteousness. Well, there's a reward. And so we're going to have to pay very close attention to that, what exactly is God promising the giver? What is the increase of the harvest of our righteousness? Stay tuned.
0: during the month of March, we'll be highlighting the international efforts of Back to the Bible Canada. Did you know that our radio program with Dr. John airs in India and neighboring countries such as Sri Lanka, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Burma, Vietnam, Eastern China, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Iran? If ensuring that your brothers and sisters around the world have access to daily Bible teaching is important to you, you can help. Your gift toward Back to the Bible Canada's international ministries would help develop and encourage pastors in India and help reach thousands of people with trusted Bible teaching programs across much of Asia and the Middle East. To support our international ministries, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: We need to understand the promise. As our gift increases, so does the harvest of our righteousness. What does that mean? In context here, as we continue to study this passage, the harvest of righteousness is the fruit that comes from righteousness. In the context of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, that has to include feeding and clothing the poor, lending to those who have need, showing others kindness and mercy, defending the rights of those who have none to defend them. That is the special project for which Paul has been raising money. But how is that a reward? Well, look at the beginning of verse 11. As you do these things, as you give in order to make Christ known, as you give in order to benefit others, verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way. To that I respond, of course you will. Show me a man or a woman who has made it possible for the good news of Jesus to be heard. Show me a man or woman whose generosity gave life to the dying and to the poor and to the destitute. In contrast to that person, show me a man or woman who did nothing about these things. Oh, I'll tell you the difference between them. The person who didn't act, the person who didn't extend themselves for others, is the person whose heart has atrophied and who doesn't know how to love The inner portion of their lives has dried up. Joy is gone and greed has taken its place. But show me the man or woman to whom Jesus will say in the last day, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was sick and alone and you never visited me. In contrast, listen to the one whom Jesus will say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was sick and alone and you visited me. I was thirsty to the point of dehydration and you came and gave me something to drink. And when you are doing these things to my brothers and sisters, those who love me, when you cared for the glory of God and the body of Christ, it was as if you had done it for me. If you don't understand the richness of that, I suspect that it's something inside of you has already died. Yes, yeah, says Jesus. When you give, you will be enriched in every way. So do you want to be wealthy or do you want to be rich? Which one? Lots of people have money, but they're beggars. Their friends stay with them because they want something from them. Their daily worry is how to defend that which they are hoarding. In contrast, the truly rich have family and a large spiritual family and the realization of what love looks like. And what's more, this inner richness, says Paul, provides an even greater generosity. It is as if the giver is suddenly saying, ah, yes, I know what my money has purchased. I have bought an inner richness, something I couldn't have had any other way. And that's just one commodity that comes when we give. Let's now move to the second one. Let's read verse 11 through to verse 13. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which, you know, we've been reading up to this point, but now going on, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. It's amazing to me as I read this passage, the unintended consequences that come through the gift. Remember, we've been talking about a special project. You know, Paul's been describing, you know, a project of collecting and offering from Gentile Christians for their Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And of course, many Christians have already stepped up to the plate and they have begun to give sacrificially. Now, I said this act of giving had unintended consequences. I mean, most of the time when we think of unintended consequences, I mean, we think of negative things. I mean, for instance, think of the invention of the automobile. It was a wonderful thing. In America, automobiles were first advertised as an opportunity to take your family to go out and see the countryside that they would not see in any other way. Now, no one could have imagined cities congested with bumper-to-bumper traffic and untold telly of yearly deaths from crashes and air pollution and even the necessity of automobiles to hold a job. I mean, who could have imagined a one-hour automobile commute each day just to get to work and all the payments that are made because of that? I mean you think I was opposed to automobiles and I'm definitely not but I wish to illustrate that all the things that we invent that things that we plan the things that we do and the things that we participate in everything has consequences that were not intended and were never imagined in the first place but that's not to say that all unintended consequences are negative there are consequences that that come from joyful and sacrificial giving to a righteous cause that weren't intended when the giver gave the gift, but they've come about and they've caused great joy. Let's look again at what's happening through the giving to the poor Jerusalem Christians. Yeah, says Paul, this gift is supplying their needs. That was what was intended. But now comes the unintended, Paul is using two verbs that are in the progressive tense. The gifts, he says, are continually supplying needs. The supply is progressing. It's overflowing. And thanks to God, that is to say, there's an outburst of thanksgiving to God among the Jewish Christians that is more than had been expected. You know, some 40 years after Paul wrote those words, a very famous Christian, man named Clement of Rome said something very similar. He said, let the rich man bestow help on the poor and let the poor man give thanks to God. You see, that is to say, when the poor receive gifts, let them understand that it was God who moved the heart of the giver. That's important. See, the first thanksgiving is not directed at the giver, but at God. Now go to verse 13. It begins with the words, by the approval of this service. Other translations say, by the testing of this service. You know, the word means that which causes something to be known as genuine. And so what Paul is getting at here is that when the Jewish Christians received the gift, it might have been that some of them weren't sure how rich of a bond that actually existed between them and Gentile believers. But this gift was the proof If there ever was a doubt about it, that the Gentile believers really were their brothers and sisters in Christ, and that Jews and Gentiles belonged to one family, a rich family in love. On the one hand, they had been taught this by their theology, but now the theology was being tested and had been found genuine. That is, the dividing line between race was broken down in the church having seen how obedient Gentiles were to their confession of the gospel, all the Jewish believers could do then is just to glorify God. I don't know about you, but what do you think this reaction meant to those who had given the gift? They might've said, oh, the offering basket is coming by, it's a very good cause, and so they gave sacrificially, that was it, but that wasn't it, was it? It produced a unity in the global church. And it convinced Jewish Christians that the same God who saved them had also saved the Gentile Christians. God was moving among the Gentiles. It was self-evident. And so we have seen two things that giving actually purchased. The first was an inner richness and the second was a conviction that arose from those who received that God was at work. Now, regarding that second benefit, it's important for us to note that what we have witnessed was surely unique in those days. You know, the need to unite Jew and Gentile in the early church was essential. But for us, there's also something wonderful that happens when we extend our hands to those in need. It is true that a bond is formed. I know, speaking of myself, that's how I feel about everyone who gives to Back to the Bible Canada. I remember that God moves human hearts. He's obviously moved men and women who care desperately that the contents of the Bible would be heard throughout this land and beyond. I'm constantly thanking God for it was he who spoke to the heart of the giver. But there's a third matter of which Paul speaks. Your giving purchases one more thing, and we find it in verses 14 and 15. Speaking of the Jerusalem Christians, Paul says, While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift, that is to say, those poor Christians in Jerusalem began to pray earnestly for their Gentile brothers and sisters. But now the giver hears back that the poor Christians in Jerusalem are now praying earnestly for the believers who gave the gift. And not only are they praying, says Paul, but they're longing for you. And you have to suddenly believe that when any Gentile believer would have been on some kind of a trip and showed up in Jerusalem, there would have been plenty of brothers and sisters opening up their homes and opening up their arms and embracing them and friendship would have been rich and it would have been immediate. Inner richness, unity, a family, people using money to buy things all the time. You know, they buy houses and land and groceries and clothes and toys and they make investments. But where do you purchase a commodity such as Paul has described for us? Only the sacrificial giver knows anything about these things, and yet, these are the most precious things that money can buy.
0: Thanks so much, John. You know, in your message today, I recognize that there is a discipline to giving, a sense of responsibility, but there's also a return to giving, isn't there?
1: Yeah, you know, like everything else that we purchase, we're purchasing something. And it's it's a funny thing. I mean, when I say this, sometimes people look at me, you know, with some degree of suspicion saying, you know, are you just giving to get something? And the answer is, in a sense, I am. I am looking for uh, a sense of joy, uh, a sense of belonging corporately to a mission. I am looking to see the gospel advance. I'm not flushing my money down the toilet. I'm investing it into the rich rewards of the kingdom. So, you know, these kind of things, I think, ought to be discussed among us. So we ought to be uh, talking to each other. I'm so glad I gave. Look at what's occurred. It's a great thing.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Price of Victory, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Hi, this is Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible Canada. I wanted to share how blessed and encouraged we are that God is continuing to use this ministry to impact the spiritual lives of so many through faithful Bible teaching. Recently, we received these words of encouragement from a listener. As I was listening, my heart was filled with much excitement, joy, peace, and encouragement. Thank you for teaching us the Word of God. And another listener wrote, Thanks for these blessed words, Dr. Newfeld." As a Bible-studying student, it's encouraging to hear this type of message. Thank you to both of these supporters and all who welcome our Bible teaching into your home. Make sure to check out all the ways Back to the Bible Canada can support you in your spiritual journey. For more information or to give support, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.